0: Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS on the campus of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC on the campus of Emory and Henry College, Emory, Virginia. My name is John Shuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. 50 million Americans do not have health insurance. Is healthcare a human right? Is healthcare a social justice issue? My guests, Dr. Garrett Adams and Dr. Arthur Sutherland of the Physicians for a National Health Program think so. They make the case for Medicare for Everyone. Dr. Adams is a pediatrician specializing in infectious disease and infectious disease epidemiology in Louisville, Kentucky. He currently serves as president of the 18,000-member Physicians for a National Health Program. Dr. Adams, welcome to Religion for Life.
1: Oh, thanks, John.
0: It's a great pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. And Dr. Art Sutherland is a retired physician and founder of the Sutherland Cardiology Clinic in Memphis, Tennessee, and he currently serves as the chairman of the Tennessee Chapter of Physicians for a National Health Program and is member of the National Board of Directors. Dr. Sutherland, welcome to Religion for Life.
2: Thank you, John. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Uh, What is the Physicians for a National Health Program? When were you formed? What are your goals? What do you do?
1: Well, the Physicians for a National Health Program is having its 25th anniversary this year. We are a a research and education organization, all volunteer uh, physicians, and our purpose is to educate and advocate for publicly funded national health insurance, a in, at this point, the best way to understand that is improved Medicare for all, improved and expanded Medicare for all.
0: Okay, and that's often called the
1: single-payer
0: program. Exactly, exactly. And so um, what's wrong, basically, with our health
1: care Well, we system? believe that health care is basically human right, and that that's a, a national decision that other developed countries have made, but that this country... Has not acknowledged, and because of that, uh, it's become big business, and healthcare has become a commodity that's sold in an open marketplace. And um, we are suffering as a nation, individually and as a nation, because of of this approach, uh, uh, taking health as a as a commodity to be bought and sold, and to be and to make profit huge profits. Uh, uh, one uh, individual that I'm aware of um, who runs a large uh, is the CEO of a large uh, distribution, medical distribution company, had $148 million salary uh, in 2010. I mean, things like that are just ridiculous. And all of this, this money, these huge profits and profiteering should be going into delivery of medical services. And this is the only country that has Uh, a private, uh, totally private uh, insurance system as the core of its medical care delivery. And uh, we are suffering very uh, badly in many ways. Uh, It's a humanitarian and an economic crisis in this country.
0: Some argue that our program is the best on the planet, that it provides all kinds of care for all kinds of people. What, uh, What do you make of that?
2: Well, it's, it, that's not true. You know, it, it is true that uh, for really advanced disease and, and specialty uh, treatment, uh, we can provide excellent care. But from a general standpoint, and particularly from a population health standpoint and preventive medical standpoints, uh, we don't do a good job at all uh, because not all our people don't have access to the system. Uh, we're, we're ranked 37th in the world. 37th? That's correct. And, and so we're, we're, we're not the best health care system in the world. And we are missing
0: a number of people, is that right? How many people are um, underserved or not served?
2: Uh, uh, well, right now we have over, over uh, 50 million people who are uninsured. And even if the uh, Patient Protection Affordable Care Act goes in, into uh, uh, effect as scheduled, we'll still have 23 million people who are going to be uninsured. And then also we're seeing a growing rise of, of uh, uh, people who are underinsured uh, just because the cost of, of you know, health care insurance is so uh, exorbitant that people can't afford it, and they're forced to buy health insurance policies that are substandard, whereas they, they they may have a, be forced to buy a policy that uh, only provides uh, uh, 60% of, of the re- reimbursement for health care costs. So if they have a major illness and they have to pay 40% of the cost, uh, this will uh, project them into bankruptcy most likely. And, Dr. Sutherland, is, the, is Tennessee and the
0: South um, more uh, susceptible to under, underserved people with regards to health care?
2: Oh, yeah, because uh, of our uh, background of, of chronic poverty and, and uh, racial injustice, uh, uh, we've never caught up with uh, a lot of other care areas in the country. So uh, we have a, a great number of people who are living in marginal situations, and, and of course, they're the most vulnerable to uh, uh, suffer uh, from health care problems. How would this work, a
0: single-payer national health care insurance? Um you say it's somewhat like Medicare, is it uh, exactly
1: like Medicare? Well, it, it would be. Uh only it would be better because me- Medicare has some uh some deficiencies, some uh the re- physician reimbursement rate, for example, is is not what it should be it should be more also uh, the bill that has been written uh, by congressman john conyers in uh, michigan and is in the in the current house it has been for several years it had was the most popular of all the health reform bills up until this one was passed um and it it um, would provide uh, for all medically necessary care comprehensive care uh, without any financial barriers, without copays, without deductibles, um, dental, vision, uh, long term care, mental health care uh, for every American, every person in the United States. Now, you say, well, that's amazing. I mean, how could you do that? We could do that if we were able to eliminate uh, the uh, private insurance companies which uh, actually are funneling off uh, some 31% with the overhead and profit that they have, plus the billing expenses that the providers have to go through in order to collect the claims. Um, And the total savings would be enough to uh, provide health care for everyone. So it's basically the the savings that would come about by – uh, having a national system in uh, administrative savings would be uh, about $400 billion uh, uh, and possibly even more. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, we would be able to plan. We would have central planning. We could uh, keep up with uh, medication errors, for example, on a, on a global basis. Uh, hospitals would not be in a position of trying to compete with one another because we would have central planning, and they would have global budgets which would pay for their expenses every year, and we wouldn't have this problem of of uh, non-reimbursement to hospitals, uh, which is a serious problem, especially in rural areas where hospitals are having so much non-reimbursement that some of them are threatening to close, um, and we can you know, we'll restore funds with this central planning and this this money that's saved on administration to preserve the delivery of health care in rural areas, for example, and expand primary care.
0: You're just joining us. This is Religion for Life, and my guests are Dr. Garrett Adams, who is the president of Physicians for a National Health Program, and Dr. Arthur Sutherland, who is the chairman of Tennessee Physicians for a National Health Program. So do you think the Health Care Act, uh, known now by its detractors as Obamacare, um, is a step forward in
2: any way? Does it meet any needs? and is, uh, uh, is, What are its um, limitations? Okay, I can take that one, John. Uh, basically, uh, this act uh, is not true health care reform. Uh, by the name of the act, the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, uh, this tells you that this is an insurance reform act. And basically, it, it did away with some of the very egregious practices of the insurance company, like denying coverage for pre-existing disease or, or uh, discriminating uh, based on age, age or sex. And what it did, though, is it just preserved the the very costly and complex system that we already have. And and I might point out uh, that we don't have a national health care program in the United States. We're the only developed country uh, that does not do this. Uh, and. Uh, what we have is a health care market, and it's not a free market. Uh, it's uh, uh, very, uh, over the years, it's become very distorted. Uh, so that's why it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, basically, it's, it's a supply-driven market so that uh, there are no breaks on the, on the system. There's nothing inherently in the market that's going to slow it down. Uh, patients don't have any breaks. They want everything they can get, best care. Uh, physicians don't have breaks in how they, they practice, uh, although uh, that we're making some strides in terms of best practices and, and uh, protocols like that, but that would be accentuated by a national health program. Um, hospitals have no breaks. They make a lot of money just by treating uh, far advanced disease in their hospitals, and the vendors have no breaks on them. They advertise to people directly for pharmaceuticals you know, in the, in the airwaves and the media. Uh, all sorts of things. So the whole system is just a supply-driven market. Uh, Other other countries, uh, you know, developed countries, all have some form of a national health program that is culturally acceptable for them. But basically they all cover their entire population, uh, and they do it without uh, excessive cost. Uh, We spend twice as much money as any other country in the world on, on our health care system and that that is a, a health that's a crisis for our country because uh, we're going to bankrupt ourselves if this c- continues to go on speaking of kind of the politics of it i remember President Obama
0: at the very beginning uh, dismissed single-payer. He just kind of put it off the table. Uh, Maybe he didn't believe in it, or maybe he thought it was politically unattainable. I think Um, it was
2: a political decision, yeah.
0: Political decision. Now, recently, presidential candidate Mitt Romney recently said his first priority when he gets into office is to end Obamacare, um, as he put it. What's the animus uh, behind all of the hyperbole and rhetoric over this issue?
2: Well, I think it's political, right? You You know, since the... Democrats, uh, you know, pushed it through, at least this through. Uh, I think the Republicans wanted to kill it. Uh, it's pretty simple. It's that simple of, the, of, of, of that nature. Of yeah. You know, you know, there's a big, a uh, uh, lot of excitement about the, the act right now because it's being reviewed by the Supreme Court to see if the uh, uh, insurance mandate is constitutional or not. So the Supreme Court will rule sometime in June. And uh, there are lots of scenarios of how that could go. But, uh, you know, for instance, if the Supreme Court ruled that the whole act was unconstitutional, then I think that really gives us a green light to say, well, we really need the system that works. We need need an improved and expanded Medicare for all to get everybody in the same risk pool and to solve the problem for once and all. And uh, we would push for that. We're still pushing for that, but, uh, you know. Very vigorously, we push that one. Right. Thank you. Um,
1: I, I, I would li- yeah, I'd like to, uh, to add that um, <clears throat> there's a disconnect between the uh, American people and what they want, uh, including physicians, which is a national health program, and there are many polls which uh, support that, objective polls, um, and some of your listeners may not be aware that uh, a majority of physicians, in fact, support a national health program, and that's a result of a nationwide poll. A majority uh,
0: of physicians. That's, that's correct.
1: correct. Uh, uh, the last uh, one was a poll was made in 2007, and uh, it was 59 percent of a random selection of American physicians. So the majority of Americans want this. But... Mr. Obama said it's not on the table. Why did he do that? Yeah, that's the question. Um, where's the power? The power is corporate money. Um, let's take, for example, Mr. Max Baucus, who was chair of the Senate Finance Committee. Max Baucus was the largest recipient of health insurance campaign donations of all legislators on Capitol Hill. He chose to, for the person to write the bill that he brought up, uh, Liz Fowler, who was a former uh, executive, senior executive with WellPoint uh, Insurance Company. So when uh, Baucus had, had hearings, he invited... His cronies to come to the uh, hearing table, uh, but he would not allow single-payer to be on the table. We petitioned the president directly and Mr. Baucus to ask if Marcia Angel, who was a former editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, could represent uh single-payer, and they said it's not on the table. Uh, so there's this disconnect, and uh, I think it's pretty clear to see that that's where our problem is. Uh, But we can get beyond that, I hope, with um, uh, grassroots uh, interest and and, uh, by demanding uh, a national health, publicly funded national health for all of our people.
0: Dr. Garrett Adams and Dr. Arthur Sutherland, uh, physicians for a national health program, are my guests on Religion for Life. This is a a moral issue for each of you, isn't it? It, In one of the articles I read, Dr. Adams, you quoted Dr. Sutherland as saying, we need to replace charity with social justice. Um, This is really about uh, basic human rights. My question is for each of you, uh, have you been in favor of a single-payer plan throughout your whole career? Was there a moment... In your career and your practice of medicine, that you said something's wrong and it has to change.
2: Uh, I, you know, I, I was always uh, in, in favor of, of equal access into the system, and and um, I didn't realize it till I kind of got through medical school into the system that that uh, that was not going to be possible. That uh, you know, people who didn't have insurance, they didn't get in uh and so by the time i finished practice i was really burned out about that uh and i started looking around and a friend introduced me to PNHP uh, about a couple of years before i retired and then after i retired i had the time to really get in, into it and uh so in 2005 i uh became active and and took over the uh, uh chairmanship of the Tennessee chapter um I felt like I was part of the problem, uh, you know, because you don't go into medicine thinking that you're going to be uh, doing something that's not quite right. But when I got through, I felt like I would uh, I was not doing the right thing. Uh, our our practice, for instance, didn't see 10-care patients on a routine basis. Now, we'd see if a referring doctor called up and said, "Won't you see this patient's got 10-care, we'd see him and not charge him anything. And we did uh, charity work on the, the wards uh, of, of our teaching practices. Uh, but I felt bad about that, and, and, um, and I think that's what drove me into looking into the social justice aspects of health care. And in my mind, uh, this is a, a social justice problem.
0: It, Dr. Adams, how did
1: you get involved? Well, well, my experience was was a, a little different uh, because um, I had uh, a subspecialty, uh, an academic subspecialty in infectious diseases of children, and um, but I, I felt, in retrospect, I feel some guilt about the the um, narrow uh, focus that I had, which was entirely on the scientific and and direct medical care of my patients so didn't see the big picture until 2003 and i was reading a journal of american medical association and uh, there was an article called the physician's proposal for a national health program and my eyes just popped open i said wow that of course this just makes imminent sense It just makes common sense. Dr. Adams, you
0: testified before the Subcommittee on Primary Health and Aging of the U.S. Senate Committee on Health, Education, and Labor and Pensions uh, in September of 2011. And in your testimony, you used your time to give uh, voice to the poor and told their stories of people who make up that statistic of 50 million people without insurance in the United
1: States. Can you share some of those voices with us? (laughs) <laughs> you, you're going to break me up here, John, uh, because they, they they touch you. Uh, you can't get away from it. Uh, uh, Bernie Sanders is one of our heroes in this country at this time, uh, and um, a friend of, of mine uh, who lives in Vermont told him that I had uh, started a free clinic in Tennessee, and it's in Bursas Springs, Tennessee. Uh, on the Cumberland Plateau in Grundy County. Mean uh, median income, 25000 compared to a median national income of about $45,000. Uh, ratio of physician to population is, uh, or population to physician, is 11 times the national average. Uh, so, very underserved. Uh, And, uh, so Bernie called me and, and said, can you tell me, um, about patients that of your own experience, your own personal experience that have had serious, um, death, uh, possibility of death or life-threatening illness. Um, and I told about, uh, John, uh, four from Kentucky and eight from Tennessee, um, uh, had two transplant uh, victims that the first uh, was denied a liver transplant. The, he was. These two were from Kentucky. Um, and um, uh, we learned about, we met this David Velton, and um, we lobbied for him. And we were able to put enough pressure on the insurance company that they relented and they... Uh, paid for a transplant well it was too late David didn't survive after the transplant very long the next patient was um, a friend of mine um, who was a, a paralegal secretary she developed uh, around age 34 um, uh, leukemia and was in at MD Anderson hospital waiting for final approval she was in remission waiting final approval of her transplant Uh, and uh, she died waiting for approval Hmm. for the transplant Uh, so those were two Uh, one I'll always uh, remember uh, I know the widow of this gentleman I I did not know him but I met his widow owned his own uh, mechanic shop uh, in Henry County, Tennessee, Clay Morgan, and um, he developed um, malignant melanoma. He was treated he was thought to be cured uh, he was bankrupted by the expense and um, and then it came back, and um, he took his life because uh, i can 't get through this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he took his life because he didn't want to bring more medical debt on his family. And, you know, and it goes on and on. Uh, um, Charlotte Dykes, a friend from uh, Birshba, uh she's 64. She had um, a life-threatening um, carotid artery, uh, main artery to your brain uh, obstruction. And... Um, her, she had had a, a similar one, and she hadn't paid a bill from the previous one. So the surgeon said, I'm not going to operate on you uh, because you didn't pay your previous bill. You've got to pay up front. Um, and she waited out the time, and fortunately she, she survived to age 65, and now she's going to have her surgery. But that was a scary thing, you know, and, you know, more like that.
0: Dr. Sutherland, uh, you spoke at a gathering in Memphis called the Caritas village is that the correct correct pronunciation mm-hmm. a grassroots gathering of people talking working on social justice issues, and you spoke about health care issues there uh, when you speak to gatherings like that and you speak to people, what is it you learn
2: well i it, I just learned more of what uh, Garrett was talking about that uh pe- and I know this you know people Memphis is a pretty di- disadvantaged area uh in in general you know we have a lot of poverty chronic poverty. A lot of racism uh, still. Uh, and uh, people just, you know, without the means, don't have uh, insurance to get uh, access to the medical system. So this is this is one of the reasons I, I became as active as I did because I, mean, I, I looked at this my whole career because I interned at the city hospital uh, and uh, did my training there. The, the old John Gaston Hospital, we had segregated wards and... and uh, uh, I, I saw the, the healthcare disparities uh, uh, back then. In fact, uh, another resident wrote a white paper uh, in uh, uh, 1987 uh, about the disparity issues at the at the public hospital, and it uh, it wasn't it wasn't published. Uh, we sent it into the newspaper, and they sat on it until the sanitation strike started at Memphis, and then they. Published our white paper and said physicians opened up second front of war against the city, mm-hmm. uh, but you know that's sort of the the attitude that city had was that uh, you know, these people were risers, you know. But uh, you know I, I just have seen, episode, you know, things like that that really have pushed me into the recognition that that charity care like Garrett is doing is, is wonderfully necessary right now, but it's not the long term solution. And, and like any other social justice issue, you have to change the offending systems. And that, that means really hard work, and, and you have to get political because the ultimate decision on this is going to be political. But we need a, a strong base from the public and also from physicians to push it through. I'd,
1: I'd like to suggest an experiment
2: for um, our listeners. Uh,
1: when When you're in the grocery store, look out at the people that you're you're seeing in your view uh, however many there might be 20, 30 or some larger gathering and imagine that they all have health care equal everybody in and nobody out
0: that would be a good vision wouldn't it important vision and an attainable vision isn't it yeah I think so We are just about out of time. My guests have been Dr. Garrett Adams, President of Physicians for a National Health Program, and Dr. Arthur Sutherland, uh, Chairman of the Tennessee Physicians for a National Health Program. The website is www.pnhp.org, Physicians National Health Program, pnhp.org. Do you see this uh, movement gaining momentum? Do you see traction happening? Do you see people catching on?
1: Absolutely, across the country. Uh, every every month we have an activist call among our colleagues, uh, some fifty or so, from Maine to Hawaii, and the activity across the country is incredible. And part of
0: your your work is to talk about folks uh, in the South, in particular. Exactly.
2: And and one one approach we've had is to is to go to faith based groups uh, because uh, since this really is a social justice issue, then that resonates. Uh, and uh, a lot of people don't understand the healthcare system. So part of our job when we talk to any group, particularly faith faith-based, faith-based organizations, is to really explain the difference between you know a healthcare market that's dysfunctional and a healthcare system that would cover everyone in the country and be truly a social justice vehicle.
1: Well one, one of my good friends says Jesus healed the sick and he did it for free.
0: Dr. Garrett Adams and Dr. Arthur Sutherland. From Physicians for a National Health Program, my guests on Religion for Life. Thank you, gentlemen, for being with me. Thank you, John. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. I'm John Chuck, the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. More information about my congregation can be found at fpcelizabethton.org. Information about Religion for Life, including upcoming shows and podcasts, are available at religionforlife.me. Follow Religion for Life on Facebook and Twitter. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS-FM and WETS-HD1, Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM, Emory, Virginia. Be well.